0: Chapter Nine: The Ordeal of Richard Feverel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Butros. The Ordeal of Richard Feverel by George Meredith. Chapter Nine. In build of body, gait, and stature, Giles Jinxon the Bantam was a tolerably fair representative of the Punic Elephant, whose part, with diverse anticipations, the generals of the blaze and feverel forces, from opposing ranks, expected him to play. Giles, surnamed the Bantam, on account of some forgotten sally of his youth or infancy, moved and looked elephantine, it sufficed that Giles was well fed to assure that Giles was faithful, if uncorrupted. The farm which supplied to him, ungrudging provender, had all his vast capacity for work in willing exercise. The farmer who held the farm, his instinct reverenced as the fountain source of beef and bacon, to say nothing of beer, which was plentiful at Belthorpe and good. This farmer Blaze well knew and he reckoned consequently that here was an animal always to be relied on a sort of human composition out of dog horse and bull a cut above each of these quadrupeds in usefulness and costing proportionately more but on the whole worth the money and therefore invaluable as everything worth its money must be to a wise man when the stealing of grain had been made known at Belthorpe. The Bantam, a fellow thresher with Tom Bakewell, had shared with him the shadow of the guilt. Farmer Blaze, if he hesitated which to suspect, did not debate a second as to which he would discard, and when the Bantam said he had seen Tom secreting pilkins in a sack, Farmer Blaze chose to believe him, and off went poor Tom, told to rejoice in the clemency that spared his appearance at sessions the bantam's small sleepy orbit saw many things and just at the right moment it seemed he was certainly the first to give the clue at belthorpe on the night of the conflagration and he may therefore have seen poor tom retreating stealthily from the scene as he averred he did loburn had its say on the subject rustic loburn hinted broadly at a young woman in the case and moreover told a tale of how these fellow-threshers had, in noble rivalry, one day turned upon each other to see which of the two threshed the best, whereof the bantam still bore marks, and malice it was said. However, there he stood, and tugged his forelocks to the company, and, if truth really had concealed herself in him, she must have been hard set to find her unlikeliest hiding-place." "'No,' said the farmer, marshalling forth his elephant with the confidence of one who delivers his ace of trumps, "'tell this young gentleman what you saw on the night of the fire-bantam.' The bantam jerked a bit of a bow to his patron, and then swung round, fully obscuring him from Richard. Richard fixed his eyes on the floor, while the bantam, in rude historic, commenced his narrative." Knowing what was to come, and thoroughly nerved to confute the main incident, Richard barely listened to his barbarous locution. But when the recital arrived at the point where the bantam affirmed he had seen Tom Bagels with Owen Richard faced him, and was amazed to find himself being mutely addressed by a series of intensely significant grimaces, signs, and winks. "'What do you mean? Why are you making those faces at me?' cried the boy indignantly. Farmer Blaze leaned round the bantam to have a look at him and beheld the stolidest mask ever given to man. Ain't not making no faces at nobody,' growled the sulky elephant. The farmer commanded him to face about and finish." "'I see, Tom Bakel,' the bantam recommenced, and again the contortions of a horrible wink were directed at Richard. The boy might well believe this churl was lying, and he did, and was emboldened to exclaim, "'You never saw Tom Bakel set fire to that rick." The bantam swore to it, grimacing an accompaniment. "'I tell you,' said Richard, "'I put the Lucifers there myself.' The suborned elephant was staggered. He meant to telegraph to the young gentleman that he was loyal and true to certain gold pieces that had been given him, and that in the right place and at the right time he should prove so. Why was he thus suspected? Why was he not understood? "'A thought of seeing, then,' muttered the bantam, trying a middle course." this brought down on him the farmer who roared thought ye thought what d'ye mean speak out and don't be thinking thought what the devil's that how could he see who it was on a pitch-dark night richard put in thought the farmer bellowed louder thought devil take ye when ye took ye oath on it Hello? What are you screwing your eye at Mr. Favril for? I say, young gentleman, have you spoke to this chap before now? I replied Richard, I have not seen him before. Farmer Blaze grasped the two arms of the chair he sat on and glared his doubts. Come, said he to the bantam, speak out and had done with it. Say what you saw, and none of your thoughts. Damn your thoughts. You saw Tom Bakewell fire that there rick. The farmer pointed at some musk-pots in the window. "'What business are you to be thinking? You're a witness. Thinking ain't evidence. What'll you say tomorrow before magistrate? Mind what you says today you'll stick by tomorrow?' Thus adjured, the bantam hitched his breech. What on earth the young gentleman meant, he was at a loss to speculate. He could not believe that the young gentleman wanted to be transported. But if he had been paid to help that, why he would and considering that this day's evidence rather bound him down to the morrows he determined after much ploughing and harrowing through obstinate shocks of hair to be not altogether positive as to the person it is possible that he became thereby More a mansion of truth than he previously had been, for the night, as he said, was so dark that you could not see your hand before your face, and though, as he expressed it, you might be mortal sure of a man, you could not identify him upon oath, and the party he had taken for Tom Bakewell, and could have sworn to, might have been the young gentleman present, especially as he was ready to swear it upon oath. So ended the bantam. No sooner had he ceased than Farmer Blaze jumped up from his chair and made a fine effort to lift him out of the room from the point of his toe. He failed and sank back, groaning with the pain of the exertion and disappointment. they are liars, every one, he cried. Liars, perjurers, bribers, and corrupters. Stop, he said to the bantam, who was slinking away. You've done for yourself already. You swore to it. "'I didn't!' said the bantam doggedly. "'You swore to it!' the farmer vociferated afresh. The bantam played a tune upon the handle of the door and still affirmed that he did not, a double contradiction at which the farmer absolutely raged in his chair, and was hoarse as he called out a third time that the bantam had sworn to it. "'Noah!' said the bantam ducking his pole noah he repeated in a lower tone and then while a sombre grin betokening idiotic enjoyment of his profound casuistical quibble worked at his jaw not up an oath, he added with a twitch of the shoulder and an angular jerk of the elbow farmer blaize looked vacantly at richard as if to ask him what he thought of england's peasantry after the sample they had there Richard would have preferred not to laugh, but his dignity gave way to his sense of the ludicrous, and he let fly a shout. The farmer was in no laughing mood. He turned a wide eye back to the door. Lucky for him, he exclaimed, seeing the bantam had vanished, for his fingers itched to break that stubborn head. He grew very puffy, and addressed Richard solemnly now look ye here mr feverell you've been a tampering with my witness it's no use denying i say ye have sir you are some of ye i don't care about no feverell my witness there has been bribed the bantam's been bribed and he shivered his pipe with an energetic thump on the table bribed i knows it i could swear to t-. upon oath richard inquired with a grave face I upon oath said the farmer not observing the impertinence i take my bible oath on it he's been corrupted my principal witness oh it's damn cunning but it won't do the trick i'll transport tom bakewell sure as a gun he shall travel that man shall sorry for you mr Feverel. sorry you haven't seen how to treat me proper you or yours money won't do everything no it won't it'll corrupt a witness but it won't clear a felon i'll ha soused you sir you're a boy and you'll learn better i asked no more than payment and apology and that i'd had taken content always provided my witnesses weren't tampered with now you must stand your luck all ye. richard stood up and replied very well mr Blaze." and if continued the farmer tom bakewell don't drag you into it after him why you're safe as i hope you'll be sincere "it was not in consideration of my own safety that i sought this interview with you," said richard, head erect. "grant ye that," the farmer responded. "grant ye you that you're bold enough, young gentleman, comes with the blood that should be. if ye had only had spoken truth, i believe your father, believe every word he said. i do wish i could have said as much for sir austin's son and heir." "what?" cried richard with an astonishment hardly to be feigned. "you have seen my father?" But Farmer Blaze had now such a scent for lies that he could detect them where they did not exist, and mumbled gruffly, ay we knows all about that. The boy's perplexity saved him from being irritated. Who could have told his father? An old fear of his father came upon him, and a touch of an old inclination to revolt. My father knows of this, said he very loudly, and staring as he spoke right through the farmer who has played me false who would betray me to him it was austin no one knew it but austin yes and it was austin who persuaded me to come here and submit to these indignities why couldn't he be open with me i shall never trust him again and why not you with me young gentleman said the farmer i should trust you if you had Richard did not see the analogy. He bowed stiffly and bade him good afternoon. Farmer Blaze pulled the bell. "'Company the young gentleman out, Lucy,' he waved to the little damsel in the doorway, "'do the honours. And, Mr. Richard, you might have made a friend of me, sir, and it's not too late so to do. I'm not cruel, but I hate lies. I whipped my boy Tom bigger than you, for not being above board only yesterday.' Aye, made him stand within swing of this chair, and takes measure. Now, if ye'll come down to me and speak truth before the trial, if it's only five minutes before't, or if Sir Austin, who's a gentleman, he'll say there's been no tampering with any of my witnesses. His word for't, well and good. I'll do my best to help off Tom Bakewell, and I'm glad, young gentleman, you've got a conscience about a poor man, though he's a villain. Good afternoon, sir richard marched hastily out of the room and through the garden never so much as deigning a glance at his wistful little guide who hung at the garden gate to watch him up the lane wondering a world of fancies about the handsome proud boy chapter nine